Hey friends, welcome back. Super pumped to join us today to have Dustin, uh, the non-alchemist. We're talking about like Christian, Christianity, fundamentalism, atheism, all this stuff. So Dustin, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Chilling Saturday morning, both in Virginia. Yeah. So it's like really bipolar weather where now today it's cold. I was outside <laughs> a little bit this morning, um, but you never know what you're going to get at this time in Virginia. So, you know, it goes, it goes back and forth. Mm hmm. Ready for that 75 degrees. That'll be nice again. But yeah, so today we're going to be talking not about the weather in Virginia, uh, but about like Dustin and his life experience and just like things like fundamentalism, religious experience and like his channel. In case you don't know, he's a really good YouTube channel, The Non-Alchemist. It's just added in this title. So Dustin, before we get rolling, do you want to talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, as Zach said, I have a channel um, that goes by The Non-Alchemist. <clears throat> and my main goal is to, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, as we go on, but my main goal is to undermine what I take to be religious fundamentalism. Um, and I mean, part of the reason I got on YouTube specifically was like, I want to kind of join, um, there's these popular level atheist YouTubers and they make some, you know, some good stuff, but then it's very, a lot of it's not very informed. And then there's channels on the other end of the spectrum, like majesty of reason and other very sophisticated atheist, um, YouTubers that make stuff that a normal person would click on and not have any idea what they're talking about. So my goal, other than, you know, other than to undermine what I, you know, take to be something that's bad. My other goal is to actually try to join these kind of two worlds together in a certain kind of way. That's, um, you know, making, making something like philosophical and biblical studies, um, package that in a way that like a normal person can like understand and like, and do it in a short kind of way. And I have interviews and stuff that I do there too, but so I have multiple reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, that's super admirable. And I think that's something important is like looking at things like holistically um, and not like, I feel like sometimes like, especially on like YouTube, it's like, oh, he's just like, not referring to you, but like, oh, they're just like pop level. You don't have to care about what they're saying or, oh, like they're super in depth. Like, why do I have to care about that? And it's very admirable yeah. to try to like link those things together because it's super important. So just emphasizing yeah. that. So that's great. Yeah. So maybe then, Dustin, just getting into it, maybe talk a little bit about like your story, because um, from what I understand and when I've listened to you, like your story plays a super important role in kind of like your channel and your content. So like talk about like your religious like story, like your conversion, deconversion, and kind of like how you got to where you are today a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, I was raised in what I would consider to be sort of pop evangelicalism. And, and what I mean by that is there was sort of a heavy emphasis placed on, you know, like getting saved. Um a lot of times there was more like a performative emphasis in like the, in the services, uh, like, you know, like having like a band perform, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times some of this, again, this is just, I'm just kind of painting in broad strokes, but a lot of this is sometimes accompanied by like this cultural belief system where it's not, it's, it's something you do like on, on the weekend, but then it's not necessarily this thing that's super prevalent in the home all the time. So mm -hmm. these kinds of things, together in certain ways is what I would consider pop evangelicalism. That's what I'm referring to. So I had, I was kind of raised in that environment. Um, you know, we'd switch, I mean, it wasn't all that. I would, I would say that's the broad flavor of it because we switched around and I've been to like a, a first Christian church and like a Bible church and Southern Baptist, like when I was growing up. So I've been, I've seen a, a lot of the, you know, evangelical landscape as it were. So mm -hmm. before I, um, and I would say probably um, I had, when I was very young, I had a basic grasp of the gospel as Protestants normally present it. And just to make it simple, I would say the easiest way to, to conceive of that is Jesus in my place. So the idea is that Jesus lived the perfect life that you can never live um, in your in your place and died, um, took the punishment that you deserve on the cross so that you could be made right with God. And who says the atheist can't preach the gospel, right? Um, <laughs> so anyway, so I, I feel like I had a basic understanding of that at, at a young age. And I remember 
being, and this is, as I, you'll get, I'll get to this in a little bit, but I, I became a little bit more reformed um, in my trajectory later. But, you know, I would, I would, I would have said that probably when I got saved or whatever, would have been when I was young. I remember being on the top bunk of the bunk bed and starting to cry and like asking Jesus to forgive me because I thought I was a sinner. And I sort of had this, you know, what I just explained in the back of my mind, I think. Um, so that's, that's when I would have said that I, what I would have said probably, you know, when I converted, if someone, as when I was a Christian, if someone asked me, what did you convert? That's what I would probably say. Though, you know, I, I would say, though I didn't really start reading the Bible because I was in this pop evangelical background, I wasn't like reading the Bible cover to color, like, color to color, cover to cover mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as a, you know, as a, te- as a kid, um, I, I started sort of in my young adult life, but I did take my faith seriously. Um, like it felt real to me. I was, I talked about it openly, like in like school and all this other stuff. And I was excited to go to church and I, I prayed, I would go into my closet and pray. Like I, you know, I had for someone in that environment, I, it seemed I was taking my faith as seriously as I knew how to, I would say, um, you know, I was like wearing the blood donor, save my life t-shirts and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, a lot of times high schools will, you know, issue you a planner. And I had this picture, I would take, I taped this picture of Jesus, like pulling the sky up, like to the front of my planner you know, just, just, just stuff like that. Um, and it, people of course made fun of me for that. I didn't really care though, because it, you know, it was, it was important to me, but mm-hmm. so from there, that was sort of my background in the sense of probably from young, like being a kid to like young adult, I would say I started, started moving into a more Calvinist or reform direction, probably starting at age 18 and on. And ultimately to me, I mean, ultimately it was because I had this view of the Bible where I needed to, if basically you have to slap sort of an interpretive grid on the whole thing. And to me, it seemed if you're going to do that, then at the time, obviously, not, I would disagree with my, my past self now, but at mm-hmm. the time I was thinking, okay, this is a systematic whole. I have to take all this data into consideration. It seems like as I'm starting to read the Bible over and over for myself, that this is probably the grid that makes the most sense of all of this data. So that's, and, and obviously I've mentioned in the past there were reformed pre- preachers that made Calvinism more palatable to me, like John Piper and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. I didn't become a Calvinist because of them. It was more like they, I was already reading the Bible cover to cover and starting to think these things, but then I, I initially just hated Calvinism and, but they, they packaged it in a way that was like, okay. I, I need to go with what I think the Bible says rather than what I initially feel. Um, and they had a way of packaging it that made it seem happy, joy, all this other stuff. I'm not going to go into that, but um, mm-hmm. so Anyway, so that's that started. That's what sort of happened there. And I mean, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I started going more into the confessionally reformed trajectory rather than just kind of like an evangelical Calvinist. I started moving into like the last stop, I would say, was like the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, which mm-hmm. is a. I mean, they're they're evangelical, but it's more of a confessionally reformed um, Christian tradition. Yeah. But um, yeah. So so from there, my, I mean. My deconversion, I would say, how old was I? I'm, I'm 30 now. I was probably like, tw- I think I was like 26 or 27 when I officially deconverted. I'm not really sure, but um, mm-hmm. that was definitely gradual. Uh, in general, it was gradual. And I would say it was the result of, I mean, I I would meet with people and like take them through the reason for God by Tim Keller and all this stuff. I was invested in extended evangelism. And over the time of doing that, it started seeming to me these. So first of all, I'm going to start with 
these were like seeds of doubt. These aren't the reasons that I deconverted. So let me just mm -hmm. make, make a distinction between my experience, which is just like, I think I might be on the wrong path here just based on some experiential things and then the reasons that I deconverted. So let me distinguish those two things. So what I would call the seeds of doubt were my experience of like walking people through over time, um, trying to explain my beliefs and convert them. And the more I tried to do that, I guess, over time, it seemed to me that the arguments became less and less persuasive to me, the ones that I was defending. Um, and it got to a point too, like near the end, I was taking, um, there was someone who was who was gay and I was like taking them, you know, I would meet them at a bar and like take it go through chapter by chapter through the reason for God. And I, I was doubting, I was at a point where I was really doubting and I was like, do I really believe this enough to make this person change their entire lifestyle? Mm. Like, I, like this was when I was, I mean, obviously this was like at the crux of doubt though. It wasn't, I didn't have those kind of conflicts before. It was like right yeah. at the end. And I was just like, man, I, I, I don't know. Just there's something in me that I just, you know, cause that, that's a huge thing. You, you really need to believe what you believe if you're going to do that kind of thing. There's nothing wrong. If you truly, truly think that, you know, you're saving people from like eternal hell. Like I understand why you do that, but you know, I think you need a certain level of certainty before you like, you know, try to reverse people's entire trajectories of life. Anyway, so that was just an example. Um, also, again, a seed of doubt, not the reason, but it seemed that I could start to see how you could explain the dynamics of the faith that I was living and like seeing around me more naturalistically. And I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, like Graham Oppie sort of put this all, put this language of, you don't need the supernatural ex explanation to explain this data or whatever. Like I was thinking these sorts of thoughts, but didn't know how to articulate it about a lot of different things. And then when I read him, I was like, oh, like I've been thinking this stuff like about a lot of different stuff. So mm -hmm. I would say I was, had this sort of same line of reasoning with Christianity. Cause I was, you know, I, I was in church leadership and I think a lot of people have this, this idea that there's these people above me that haven't figured it out. And then when you start to kind of incrementally kind of go up, you know, move up and and see that no one has anything figured out. Like it's, we're all the, just, we're all the same. Like we're all just kind of on this raft in the middle of the river and we're just kind of rowing the boat. Like, and there's nothing, again, that's just a, none of this disproved Christianity. I'm just trying to make a like explain my narrative story. So mm -hmm. um, I started basically seeing, wow, it just seems like people are just people everywhere I go. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's anything that different about anyone you know it just seems like yes there's there's people that have these kind of there's there's rare examples where people in any in multiple religious traditions that have that go from kind of a very big rut in life and then switches and mm -hmm. that's not unique to christianity um but in general i would just say that just it just seems like people are the same wherever i go the ups and downs of faith that everyone has it seems like the religious experience that i was experiencing i saw other people experiencing around me the more i talked to people that were in cults and other um, religious traditions, it seemed like there wasn't really anything distinct going on. And so, again, not making an argument against Christianity here, I'm just explaining. But mm -hmm. so that was, you know, that nagged on me a little bit. Um, and then obviously, I started not seeing, over time, I started thinking that the Bible seemed to be something else that you might be able to explain by not appealing to supernatural, you know, the supernatural, you might be able to explain it just naturalistically. And of course, like the problem evil, that weighed on me, but atheism came later. I went from Christianity to agnosticism initially. Mm -hmm. And problem evil, the various iterations of it, that was a big reason why I didn't just go from Christianity to bare theism, which I think is consistent. I think you could be a bare theist and not be a Christian. And I've said that mm -hmm. before. Um, I think I'm surprised there aren't more people that are like that, honestly. But 
the problem of evil considerations made me go from Christianity to agnosticism rather than that intermediate step. <clears throat> so yeah, anyway, that those were like the seeds of doubt, I guess you'd call them. Mm -hmm. And the reasons that I deconverted, I would say the most important reason would be that after experiencing this and evaluating different things that I just came to the conclusion that the arguments for Christian theism are, I'm not saying they're all horrible. Like I'm not saying they're all terrible. I just think that they're at best they're inconclusive and at worst they, they can be bad. Um, and yes, you pointed out the religious experience thing. I started to become convinced that, you know, my religious experience personally and corporately didn't seem like anything more, any more real than what other people from other religions and sects were experiencing. And so it didn't seem like that would be a good foundation to build my faith on. So, because some people have this view where well, I don't want to, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but mm -hmm. they have this, like the, the, there's a foundation of the house and the foundation of the house is religious experience. And you build everything on top of that. And depending on how that's done, I think that that can be really dangerous. So I started to become convinced that maybe that's not a good foundation. Like, I, I think just generally speaking, appealing to religious experience is 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 evidence. It's, it's something that can count in, as a, in favor of what you're saying. So I, when people say I had uh, some religious experience, I don't immediately dismiss them. If they're, if they're talking about it in the sense of, I have these set of considerations of why I believe what I believe. Here's one of them. I've had this ex personal experience that seemed to confirm it. I, I think that's perfectly valid in general. But when you sort of make it the foundation such that basically either you're going to admit openly that nothing could change my mind because of this experience or in practice, some people don't admit that, you know, they don't actually admit that, but in practice, that's actually what's going on. So mm -hmm. to me that that, to me, that doesn't seem right. Um, mm -hmm. My view of the Bible changed. I already mentioned that and I already mentioned the problem people, but I need to, I need to take a drink of water. <laughs> so you I, know, I can talk a little bit when you get a drink. Cause yeah. there's a couple of things I thought about. The one, right. One so let me share, you know, um, one of them was like that idea of like, it's really helpful because I think sometimes um, this goes both ways. Like no one usually just is like one day, like a devout Christian and like wakes up the next morning and is like, Oh, I'm an atheist now. Or like right. vice versa. Like no one usually like an atheist one day and then wakes up and they're like a Christian. Um, it usually is like this combination of like multiple factors. Like even recently, I, like I've been thinking about the civil war in America. It wasn't just like Lincoln was elected and the South was like, ah, oh, it's crap. This sucks. We're done. Um, it was like, it built over like 40 years, 40 years. There's all these issues um, in the same way, like looking at like your story. I think if you talk to many other people, their stories, it's these multiple factors and they build up. Some of them may be like related to experience. Some may be like studying, like looking at the Bible. Um, and like when we make these major worldview shifts, like it's not just like one thing. It's not like, um, like I am a Christian. I would say like something with the lines of Romans one, but, but I wouldn't be like, Oh, Dustin Romans one. He just wanted to sin, bro. Come on. That's it. He's, all this stuff. He just said, ignore that. Like, that's not at all what I would say. Um, and it's like, there's so many more layers to like deconversion and, con and conversion and thinking about these things. And I think sharing your story really helps to like illustrate that. Yeah. Was there anything, was there anything else that you thought was interesting about that? Cause like I said, I would talk for like fifth, I'm not used to talking for 15 minutes straight. My voice. Yeah, is no, no, there, I mean, there's a lot of things. Like one of the things I think about is like the idea of like really like understanding Christian leaders don't have it all figured out. Um, mm -hmm. Cause it's true. I think sometimes like we put them on like a pedestal uh, and think like, Oh, they have everything figured out. One thing that helped me is like my dad was for the most of my life was involved in like higher levels of ministry. Um, so like, and I knew like he didn't have all the answers to everything. So that helped me like not kind of jump through that hurdle. Uh, when I was thinking about like religious faith and things like that, but it's something very real. Like I like the idea of you like saying like we're all on this raft, just trying to like figure everything out because we really are. Like we think about like our 
nat- purpose in the world. Like we're on this like big rock that's spinning around this like really hot ball of fire in this like really big universe. And then we're like here and we're just like trying to figure this out. And it's like all these things are happening in the world. And like most, a lot of people don't even think about like our purpose in the world. Cause we're just thinking about like the latest drama on like Twitter or Instagram or whatever, um, or TikTok now that's the new thing. So mm. get ready for the drama to get spilled over to TikTok soon. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> so, but that's kind of like, I, that's another thing I thought about as you're thinking is just like um, our limited place in this world. And like kind of thinking about like how we can think about the world, like recognizing our location in it. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity too, like what, so you were just raised and again, I'm not going to, like I said before, I'm not going to flip this and try to interview you, but like, so mm-hmm. you, what, what is your, again, I'll, I will be primarily the interviewed person, but just briefly, like, what's your story, like where you're at right now? Yeah, no, you're fine. I mean, it's a conversation. So it's not necessarily yeah. have to be like one way or the other. I mean, like, so I was raised like Christian. Um, like obviously like, my dad was in ministry. So I was in church a lot. I wouldn't say like pop level Christian, but definitely evangelical. Um, like, you know, like it was all about like being saved and like knowing like the gospel, like the Romans road, or we had like the color books, um, stuff like that. Um, so that was like the thing. And then after like my, but like in high school, I'd kind of like go like very like highs. Like you have like that conference or something and you're like, Oh, fired up. And then you go home and you're just kind of like on those lows. And that was kind of like my life. And then after my sophomore year of high school, I had someone I knew like die in a car crash. Um, and that was the first time I really started to think about like, oh, like, is there actually like reasons to think that like God exists or like that heaven's real or like things like this? Um, and through that process of like doubting, um, lots of doubts, but like I definitely had like that bias leaning towards like Christianity being true because that's kind of like what I hoped. That was my culture, my background. Most of my friends were Christians, um, things like that. So then I started getting into like apologetics and a little bit of counter apologetics, not enough, um, very surface level stuff. Like, so not enough at that time. Like I wasn't like looking at like Oppie or Draper or any of those people. Um, I kind of came to like realize that like I thought that Christianity was true. And then like right around the time of my senior year of high school kind of came there. And since then I really haven't changed. It's my thoughts have changed a lot. Um, like things like Calvinism, like at some point I was like sympathetic. I was like, maybe now I'm like, no, there's no way. It's just, I can't <laughs> see it in my mind. I'm like, it makes, Oh, there's just so many things. I'm just like, no, I can't make sense of that. Um, so I mean, yeah, I just, just want to like, say, I mean, I think that if you get, when you really take the Calvinist system, like especially the confessionally thought out Calvinist system, when you go to the very bottom of the barrel, you have the possibility that, or at least the fairness of God, you know, torturing children, dying in infancy eternally because mm-hmm. of the imputation of Adam's sin. I just feel like if you, if you get to that, you've gone some, you've gone wrong somewhere, like in the reasoning here, <laughs> like something's, yeah. something's wrong. I just, anyway, I, I just wanted to make that little side comment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like some people will be like, well, people are just in hell for like the glory of God. And they had no other choice to like make it to hell. Like they couldn't have like come to know God because God didn't want it. I'm just like, what? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me to think whoa, that like, whoa, it's going to be like for the glory of God that millions of people are going to like suffer eternally for hell. But they, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. They, they did what they wanted to do in a compatibilist sense. And God is like, he wrote a story. And so in, in the same way that you're just, I'm just not going to, anyway. Compatibilism um, makes almost no sense to me. Um, so anyway, yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, but yeah, that's basically my story. Like, um, and like since like senior year of high school, so it was like three years ago, I graduated in 19, um, 22 now. So three years ago, I've kind of like been pretty firm in my convictions. Like Christianity is true. Um, obviously my views have changed a lot and like bad arguments and good arguments have changed a lot. Like in the beginning, like I would have been like a really big fan of say like Craig's moral argument. Now I'm like, 
really skeptical of it, but not like totally like it's just garbage. Um, so like my views are changing a lot, but like the general conviction that like God exists in Christianity is true. So, like stayed the same over those past few years. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, it seems like I mean, even even among like atheists, I know, like I know, like Emerson Green, he he went through mm -hmm. like a new atheist. Fit. Well, I mean, I I joke about the new new atheist thing. Like I, yeah. I I call myself a new new atheist because I still have a little spice that I drop in. But you know, <laughs> he 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 went through a period, that, you know, just in talking to him where he was kind of in this generic new atheist phase, and he's now he's very philosophically you know minded, even though he still, of course, you know, has takes little jabs. But it it's evolution and and how you view your own position it's just a thing that mm. happens on all, on all sides i mean you're you're saying you're doing it with christianity and i've done it with atheism multiple people have done it with atheism you know mm -hmm. so growth as a person happens across the board i think we can say but <laughs> yeah and we have to be like reflecting and thinking about like these arguments um so, like for example i have a conversation that will probably come out today um with my friend jono um, we we're talking about like the problem of evil and just like what we thought are like the strongest defenses, strongest theodicies, weakest defenses, weakest theodicies. And there's like even in the past year, like my views have changed. Like, for example, like at one point I was super like convinced that free will was a really important part of like explaining the problem of evil. And like, if you don't have free will, like you're kind of screwed. Um, but now I'm like saying, I don't know if it's necessarily needed for a good like theodicy or defense in explaining like evils. Um, in the same way, like, like vice versa, like one thing that like, has really come to my mind recently with the problem of evil is like infant death um and things like this like to me that might be i said i believe i said that in a conversation that that's the strongest form in my mind when you think about like especially from a christian perspective like um you have this idea of like either infants are going like all eternally like to heaven or to hell um if you're like augustine or like a really like strong calvinist or something i would say heaven um for sure but then you have this problem of like if you want to say evil is like for like saying for like soul growth mm -hmm. or things like this you have to deal with like the millions of children that um have died before they even like get to an age where they can reason. Like I was thinking about this, yeah. even I'm, I live in Lynchburg and I was at the old Lynchburg cemetery a few weeks ago and there's this gravestone um, and it came up and it's like, you know, this dude and his family. And there's these two like unborn children that like died before they're like stillbirths or something. And I was, it hit me then. I was like, so what about these kids? Like they never had a chance to like grow and things like mm -hmm. this. And I don't get too much in the problem of evil, but like, right. I'm just showing like my thoughts, like even though like on things like God exists in Christianity, true are still pretty solid. Like my thoughts on all those, like, things below that are constantly changing and shifting so yeah, yeah. i mean that's a hard one because <clears throat> i mean mm -hmm. depending on where you want to define when life begins or when someone is a person yeah you know, that's the mm -hmm. if you want to define that really early then you know it's spontaneous stuff happens constantly before certain points i mean yep, like what's it like like 50 or something like where they don't even go to term like i don't know the statistics, mm -hmm. but it's like a lot so you might you might be like half of the people in heaven like never even had any conscious experience and it's like what yeah that's that's hard i mean you have to you have to take that into consideration no matter how you try to you know and i had conversations with dry apologists about this too because I, I do think it's a difficult problem and he he does too mm -hmm. I mean, he has his own solutions and stuff but um yeah so what was the other thing you wanted to talk about how um so i focus on fundamentalism and religious experience was one of the other things you sent me yeah i'd be um, curious yeah maybe go into that like talk about I mean, your channel is definitely a lot broader than that. Like, it's not right. just those two things, but like I've seen, and like you talked about fundamentalism, um, even when you're talking about your story, like these are two things that are a lot in your channel. So I'm just curious, like why these two things um, you focus on, you know, a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll admit that like fundamentalists can be used in a, as, a, as a purely pejorative term. I mean, that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's, meaning, that's meaningless. I don't mean it yeah. that way. I don't mean it that way. When I, when I talk about fundamentalism, I have something very specific in mind. And like if you Google fundamentalist, generally, or I remember, I think it's like, um, someone that takes something along the lines of someone that takes their tech religious text literally or something like that. I think yeah. that's the standard definition. So I mean something like 
a, a person that has a literalistic disposition towards like a particular holy text, whatever it happens to be. And normally, like this big picture idea, normally this is in conjunction with a sort of dogmatism towards their beliefs mm -hmm. and a combination of beliefs that would normally be, you know, bucking against, you know, like scholarly consensus in multiple areas. And not just because mm -hmm. some scholarly, scholarly consensus exists doesn't mean it's right, but I'm just saying in general, like there's this code, there's this like, um, well, I'm trying, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like coalition, not coalition, like the like coming together of all these things into like a bubble. And that's sort of what I have in mind about like a, what is a fundamentalist. And, and I, I think there can be people that like, they might not be dogmatists, but they might have certain particular views that I would consider fundamentalist views, even if I might yeah. consider that a fundamentalist person, like as a whole. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's distinctions here, but I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to show that the way I think about this is not like pejorative purely. Because some people would be like, oh, if you just call someone a fundamentalist, you're just calling them a name. It, for me, that's not what I mean. I'm, I mean a very specific thing um, or set of things. So that's why, I mean, that's that's a lot of the, and, and people might wonder too, because I, I do make videos about like, um, like, get, like explaining arguments against the existence of God. And for me, you know, that doesn't necessarily undermine Christian fundamentalism as such, but to me, it undermines undermines the dogmatism that someone might have towards a belief in God. Someone that thinks it's just mm -hmm. obvious that God exists, and maybe they'll watch that video and be like, ah, "I can see why someone might not believe that." Or so, it, it, even if they still believe what they they believed at the beginning, they're going to understand maybe their dogmatism will be chipped away a little bit. And so, to me, that's still undermining fundamentalism. Even if I'm making a video, here's why. Here's an argument against the existence of God that I'm explaining quickly. So. Yeah, so it's it's very my channel is very broad, but my goals coalesce. That's the word I think I was looking for before coalesce <laughs> um, into that kind of goal. Um, yeah, so I that's think the amazing thing about having a YouTube channel that you're not like concerned about it like being your source of income. You can just kind of do whatever you want um, and have fun with it and like explore all these different issues. That's so. I think we're in the same boat there. So yes, and I've thought about you know that monetizing i can monetize but i haven't i chose not to i mean right now i, mm -hmm. I mean part of it is because i make short videos and i don't want ads to disrupt the already short videos um yeah I'm, i may if i hit like i have i do have big goals i think i'll hit some high numbers but like i don't really i'm not concerned with getting a patreon right at this moment but the, i've thought about the because if i if i monetize for me that might i might not be able to say all the things i want to say because people that are paying me you know will be like you know, don't say certain things. I don't like that or whatever. So I, there's like a freedom from, especially within like the atheist sphere, because sometimes people, um, you have to toe certain lines or else, you know, canceled. <laughs> like, so yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to necessarily um, make my whole, like all my eggs in the basket of monetization if I get big, but I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, anyway, so, so the reason I focus on fundamentalism, generally speaking, is I just think that these sorts of approaches to religion are tend to be damaging to society as a whole or, or to people on a personal level. And so I, I brought up, um, you know, like society as a whole, and again, this is not, I'm not trying to paint all people on a broad brush, but like, so for example, you know, like I would say the dogmatism with which some people supported Trump and like all these reactionary politics has to do with, and a lot of Christians, even like conservative Christians push back against Trump. So that has nothing to do with like being a conservative Christian, but there's like certain attitudes of, ideology within religion that can like you know combine with other things and become very bad like for um the world i would say and i think i've seen personally and, and there's lots of evidence that 
people that have certain attitudes towards religion harm, you know, individuals on certain levels. So I, that's, that's really the reason why I focus on fundamentalism generally. Um, and religious experience, like I said before, that's the other thing that I do. I, it's not really a focus, but I do bring it up a lot. And it's because, I, like I said, I don't have a problem saying that your religious experience can count in favor of your beliefs. I have no problem saying that. But in practice, what I've noticed is there's this distinction between, I think the first time I saw it made was, I think Randall Rouser made the distinction where he was crit like critiquing William Lane Craig between like a prima facie justification for a belief and like this, like an ultima facie justification for a belief. Mm -hmm. So some people talk about it where it's like, okay, I have this initial justification to believe something because I have this experience. Um, and and that's that's one thing. But in practice, I think, especially people in the pew that don't know anything about philosophy, in practice, I think it's what's really going on in most cases is that people think they have an ultima facie justification to believe mm -hmm. what they believe based on religious experience. And they would not articulate it that way. But I think way too many people have this sort of view where they think, basically, I had this experience. I could never be wrong about it. External evidence be damned, basically. Um, and I'm sorry, I said the word damn, but just, like, it's just an, it's just a phrase, but mm -hmm. it's the idea that nothing external to me could in, even in principle undermine this experience. And I think that that's, that's a dangerous way to hold any belief, not even religious beliefs. I just, I'm specifically focused on the, focusing on the religious aspect, but mm -hmm. if someone really thinks like I couldn't, I've had this experience or I have this thing and I could not possibly be wrong about it. I think that's just dangerous. So, I mean, that's, that's the reason I focus in specifically because there's a lot of religious people that seem to, um, seem to go that way. So I, it, you know, it bothers me. So I focus on it for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely something I have to think about more. So like, I think about this question of, cause you know, like you think about like the person, the average person in the pew, most of them are going to be like, well, you know, I read Fezzer's five ways and then I compared it to Sobel's logic and theism or no, that's Mackie that wrote. Mackie or Sobel wrote logic and theism. Um, Mackie wrote miracle oh, theism. Sobel yes. wrote logic and theism. Um, but and I read that and I compared it and I just came to the conclusion that Christianity is true. Like that's not how most people think um, in the pews. And like I'd say for that's just like most people aren't deeply thinking about these issues on either side of the fence unless you're like here on YouTube like listening to us talk. Then you probably are. Um, but so that's the question of like like what justifies their religious belief and it has to be in some sense experience. Um, but like when you get to that point of like where it's just experience and like there's no way possibly that my experience could be wrong. That's when it gets tricky. Um, because I think some people would say like their experience would say like, well, I just had this like miracle or this like experience at the concert. And it led to me like feeling like the Christianity is true or something like that. Um, or like the God was there. Then you get to like these, and like, I think like that belief alone wouldn't be dangerous. Then you get to questions of like, well, maybe like, say you had experience and you thought God was telling you to go do something like some, do some like horrific crime. That would be really dangerous. Um, so for me, like when I think about this, that's the line that I'm, I got to think about more. Like, um, do these experiences in themselves lead to people like coming to like dangerous ideas um, that can lead to like serious harm towards other people or just like things that are like completely um, seem to be false versus just like an experience that just like kind of leads them to think that like God exists or Christianity is true. That's something I have to think about more. Yeah. But I mean, so, I mean, this is just, I mean, this is, we're going to disagree just because of your worldview, but I think, so for mm -hmm. me, I think if, and I think if someone raised in these kind of contexts is like, you know, is attracted to people of the same sex and they basically are forced to repress that. I think that's damaging. And if it's basically the whole reason that they're being forced to do that is because basically someone, I had this experience that couldn't be wrong and they're surrounded by a bunch of people that that's really the only reason they believe what they believe. Mm -hmm. I just think that's damaging. I mean, I think that you have to, there has to be more than that. If you're going to affect people's lives like that, 
you need to you need to think through what you believe before you that's why i was saying before like um when i was that was just an example where i was trying to convert convert someone that that has this certain way that they are it's i just think you have to have more than i have this experience and now i'm just gonna you have to have reasons and i think most people and again i, I agree like you could even say like i understand that sympathy like that sympathy passively but like um i understand completely what you're saying because it is true even as a christian i realized this and that's why i, mm -hmm. I had even even though you don't think calvinism makes any sense i had a sort of reformed epistemology as a calvinist and i, mm -hmm. I understood that that's that's how most people come to belief is they, they have this experience or whatever but i definitely still think that there's a distinction between can this experience justify initially this belief absent defeaters or mm -hmm. can this can this ultima facia like nothing so I think there's a that's where I that's where it bothers me because I think most people approach the experience not as because even planning it like I mean most Calvinists would be more on the ultima facia side generally but even like within reformed epistemology I haven't read a ton of it but generally he at least says that it's defeaters could in principle undermine my experience like he says certain things like that but I won't I don't even know if people in the pew would even say that some of them they would just be like no like this is true like because I had this experience I just think. I don't know. I just don't think that makes any sense. I mean, so some some of the stuff I I attack because I just don't think it makes any sense. I mean, because I just don't agree. Mm -hmm. with it. So it's yeah. not 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 everything is just this ultimate goal. I just I just don't think that makes sense. Um, yeah. But anyway, go ahead. I know yeah. No, that's a great point, and it's something like I have to think about this more. So in your ideal world, then Dustin, like, would you have like um, thinking about like the person in the pew, like the typical Christian um, who maybe has like the beliefs, and consequentially you'd have like other beliefs about um, different issues like that you've been talking about. Like, what is their justification for their beliefs? Do you think it like be best for like every person in the world to be like studying these issues on both sides? Like, what do you think is like in your ideal world um, when someone says like I'm a Christian, like that person in the pew, like should it be like more like beyond experience why they think they're a Christian, or would you just like does my question make sense? No, it does. So I think I would say something like I I accept something like phenomenal conservatism. Something mm -hmm. like if, if it seems to you be, to be the case, then it probably well not it probably is, but like if it seems to you to be the case that something, then unless you have a reason not to think it, then you're you're justified in accepting it. So I'm fine mm -hmm. with that. But yeah, I I think basically I think um, if your views are going to have a major impact on society and people individually, then yes, you you should definitely more. People that make up those views should be thinking through the issues, and that, that this has to do with politics. This has to do with politics too. It has nothing. It's mm -hmm. not just a religious thing. It's like if you're going to make, you know, practically, implicitly, or explicitly, you know, affect other people in major ways, whether it's society or just the children you're raising within certain contexts, then I think you owe it to not just, you know, have these, whether it's just a religious experience or just raw political intuition. Like, mm -hmm. I just have this intuition and I'm not going to think, like, listen to opposing sides or anything. Like, I just think you, that's nonsense. Like, you should, mm -hmm. like, if you're going to affect other people, like, in major ways, you need to think through what you believe. Um, that's mm -hmm. just, that's what I think. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's very admirable. Like, if we're going to make, like, these, like, come to positions and issues that are going to affect, like, lots of people, um, we really do need to think them through. And I think that's very admirable. And I think that's something that, like, I, I'm totally on the same page as you on. So, anything else you want to say with regards to, like, that point of the conversation? Nope, I'm good. Okay. Um, 
I think these will be some lighter topics then. Um, cause it's not like we're not debating unless I like right. secretly bring on some secret Christian debater to like try to like come school you in the next like 10 minutes. So be surprised, um, get ready. Um, but what moves you then? Like, cause you, I know like I followed you over the past like year or two, something like that. Um, and you, I remember like when you were really agnostic, now you'd say like you're more of an atheist. So what moves you more towards like atheism, Dustin, like what's been impacting your thought there? Um, well, I want to point out first that I think I've said this elsewhere too. My atheism is not like, it's not a steady, strong atheism. I would say I float between out of 10 confidence, like six to eight that God doesn't exist mm-hmm. normally. Yeah. You know, so like that range. I'm not like one yeah. settled amount. Some days it's like an eight and some days it's like, yeah. I don't know. Like, but it's still, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really waver down to five, four, three. So it's, it's yeah. a steady, like it's, it's a conviction. So I don't ever, I don't ever go below six. I, again, I'm just trying to project. Accurately yeah, no, that's my, really my, helpful. My mental state. So I would say that I fall within that range and it is, it's harder for me to like the omni god concept because you know atheism. I some people want to narrowly. I mean, the in philosophy, the narrow definition is omni god. We're normally talking about, but even mm-hmm. just god or gods in general, I float six to eight. It's the omni god is more seven to eight. I think <laughs> like mm-hmm. just just a just a creator in general. I might yeah. go down to six. So I, I find the omni god concept harder, honestly. Even though I know that there's considerations that you could appeal mm-hmm. to, like you want to go to the the contingency route and then this foundational something other has to have these properties and whatever. I, I just, yeah. I don't know. Um, we no, can, no, it's your yeah. opinion. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, so anyway, so yeah, not, not a super strong, like 10 out of 10 atheist here. So um, I guess the reasons, and I, I guess the reason would be when I deconverted from Christianity, like I said before, I was an agnostic and I was, I'd read like Craig, I cut my teeth on Craig. I'd read, you know, reasonable faith, the on guard book where he distills reasonable faith for like how to, you know, the, I've read a lot of apologetics, but I, I still would say when I became an agnostic, I was like, let me, let me actually dive into philosophy of religion. I mean, Craig is philosophy of religion. I mean, don't get me wrong, especially mm-hmm. like the more academic stuff. But I started diving into, you know, like I've read Swinburne and all these other people now, like on the Christian side. And um, anyways, so the things, the considerations that got me to move towards atheism more were the idea that, the, to me, it's an intuitive idea where Abi expresses in the best argument against God, which is a short book. It's a little expensive. You know, philosophy books are just expensive. It just sucks unless you want to get it from like a library or something. But um, it's a short book. Basically, the idea is um, you don't really need God to explain anything. That's that's really the idea. It's distilled. He basically compares naturalism to theism, and he argues that anything that theism can explain, naturalism can explain too, and naturalism simpler. That's basically the argument. Um, and at the time, even, I wasn't necessarily committed to naturalism. Um, I would say that I'm a naturalist now. But I don't mm-hmm. know if you want to ask questions about that. But um, <laughs> so, you know, I love the supernatural naturalist. <laughs> but I mean, I, well, so uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So the idea to me is that you don't need God to explain anything. That started to make mm-hmm. sense to me. Um, and it's simpler not to appeal to X, you know, you can just appeal to this stuff rather than adding stuff on top of it. So that that's one idea that made me move towards atheism more. And I think that there's also like strong reasons to favor atheism over theism. Um, and other than that, meaning like, I would say, I think there's strong um, deductive argument, like just problem of evil considerations. So mm. the, the two major ones, I'm losing my train of thought. The two major ones were sort of this Oppian, you don't need God to explain anything plus problem of evil considerations. So those two, th- I mean, there's more things you could, you know, if you go to 
um, Felipe Leon's blog, he's got like hundred, you know, people fling hundred, hundred of arguments for God, hundred of arguments against God yeah. back and forth. Like there's tons of arguments, but I would just, if I had to boil it down, I would say those two considerations and problem of evil is really broad. When I say problem of evil, I mean like some people want to make tons of distinctions here, but like hiddenness and horrors and all this teleological evil, which you've debated Emerson on, on my mm -hmm. channel. So there's, there's lots of stuff going on here. Um, but I'm just trying to distill it into these two broad categories. I would say those two things are what moved me to atheism. Um, I don't, I, and again, I'm still recently, I've, I've said that I'm a naturalist. Um, I'm not going to go, I'm still developing what I think that entails, but I would say what I mean by that is there's only one, one kind of stuff. There's not like two kinds of stuff. There's not like natural and supernatural, but I know mm -hmm. that theists theist can say to, they could I understand where you're going. Mm -hmm. So there's one kind of stuff and there's no unembodied minds. So mm -hmm. that's, that's how I would distinguish my naturalism from a theist that would want to say there's one kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, um, so, and I know, like, I'm still thinking that through, but so I, I, I get it. Like, if you just want to use the one kind of stuff definition, then theists can use it too. I understand that. But mm -hmm. uh, the way I would distinguish my naturalism is just, I would say one kind of stuff, no un unembodied minds. But anyway, I don't, I don't go on. I'm still thinking through that. So. Yeah, no, I'm thinking through it too. And like, I mean, I guess the story, I would say something like, um, like my like minds and like not minds and like i try to like use that kind of story to try to like explain things um but we don't have to get, go down that route um maybe then justin like it'd be helpful to like look at like what moves you against like christianity like we've talked about it a lot specifically like um so again i know you said you're like anywhere between like a six to an eight like against um like the existence of god like where like one if you could like put it on a scale like where are you with regards to like christianity um and it's tricky to define maybe just saying like Jesus rose from the dead, God exists, afterlife, something like that. Some sort of story that's like very like basic tenets of Christianity. Um, like what moves you against that view? I would say I'm probably more of a settled eight against Christianity mm -hmm. or against yeah. really any specific religion. I would say I'm more mm -hmm. of a settled eight. Um, theism specifically, I flew between six to eight, depending on the day. Christianity yeah. specifically, I would say, I, like I'm not a 10 because um, mm -hmm. I do think that there's some views. So I would say probably more of a settled eight. I actually didn't think about that, but yeah, I would say that's probably where I am. Um, yeah. And the reason why I don't think why I'm not a Christian is I, I just don't find and this is interesting because <clears throat> I don't think I think a lot of people want to just try to argue for the resurrection and think that that by itself is I think they try to place way too much weight on just like minimal facts or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, because Christianity and this is one of the things that I do appreciate from, you know, the reform background I came from is Christianity is a worldview. It is a mm -hmm. worldview. Um, there's multiple connections going on. It's not just one thing. You can't just take one part of it and just, you know, wow. Like, I think you have to do more work than that because, um, so it's atheism. Well, atheism is just a denial that God exists, but like, you know, if you're going to defend a well-developed worldview, like Christianity, you have to make more defenses than just, you could try to make it more plausible by defending the resurrection, but mm -hmm. you expect someone to just, you know, the light switch to go off just by defending something like that. You got to do more work than that because what does, what does it mean? Like if the resurrection entails divine inspiration well what if if you're going to make that connection then yeah. if, you, if you have reasons to think that divine inspiration is false other than just the resurrection then that counts against the resurrection and vice versa so like it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a web of beliefs and yep. I, I don't think it makes sense to just when people have this approach like if i can just argue this one thing then i've done my job you have no you, you have to argue more than that so anyway so from from my perspective the way i approach it is I think that there's a good reason to think that like miracle claims are initially improbable, whether or not theism is true. Because mm -hmm. if theism is true, it's still the, the world is ordered in a certain way. Um, 
and it's it's regular. There's patterns. Yeah. Um, and you could use that. To, you know, you could use that to argue for theism. But I'm even assuming theism. There's regular order in nature. Like if I if I drop a pin, it's going to drop. It's, I could do it over and over and over. Like there's just basically the totality of your experience. Generally speaking, some people will claim to see miracles and stuff. Um, and by miracle, I just mean I don't mean like a violation of the law of nature in the sense I would I would make this distinction. Some people think of miracle as like a violation of this immovable law of nature. I, I think it's better explained by like it's a violation of the well-established patterns of how nature operates. So like you could still, you know, that way it's not like this original. So some people try to make Hume say like, you know, uh, because he says law of nature, he's arguing in a circle. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but anyway, like what, mm -hmm. what some people say by law of nature, they don't necessarily mean something that couldn't even in principle be violated. What they normally mean is like, this is the general pattern of what we see. That's the law of nature. But mm. anyway, um, I would say that it's, and miracles are initially improbable given our background knowledge, whether theism or atheism is true. And because of that, the evidence that you need to overturn that needs to be good, it needs to be powerful. Um, and I think that that's something I think that like theists and non-theists should agree on. And so the reason I'm not a Christian, generally speaking, is that I don't, I think the evidence for the resurrection on its own, to me, doesn't seem like it overcomes that burden. Yeah. Now, but let me just say this, though. The reason I thought it was, I mean, I always had a general skepticism towards miracle claims, even as a Christian. But the thing that got me over that hurdle was, again, the, the web of beliefs. I, it seemed to me at the time that religious experience was a powerful evidence that what I believe was true. It seemed to me that there was good reasons to think the Bible was divinely inspired because it connected in this way that was like holistically connected. There's this prophecy for Jesus in the Old Testament to the New Testament, like all these like undergirding beliefs in this, that form this web that made the resurrection make sense to me within this larger story. But once, but to me, once you kind of undermine the, the the pillars underneath that, and you're just left with, well, it seems like um, miracles are initially improbable, and here's this evidence that you're giving me for the resurrection. I just don't know about that anymore. Without these pillars holding that up, so that's for me specifically. That's how I was thinking about Christianity. Um, it, it just doesn't, without these other pillars holding it up, it just doesn't seem to me that the arguments specifically for the resurrection. Are that good? I mean, because if you go minimal facts, I definitely don't think so. But then you'd have, if you want to go more maximal, you have to take on some positions that I don't really think work with like the, the gospels and other things. Mm -hmm. So it's just hard. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, to, I know exactly what you mean. So you're just kind of, to me, it just seems like you're caught there, but not you specifically, but just in general. Um, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Have you read Oppie's debate book with Kenny Pierce on like God's existence? Not yet. I haven't. Okay, I'm going to spoil a little bit for you, um, okay. so don't be mad. But one of the things at the end of the book, because um, like they're debating the existence of God, and one of the points that like Oppie brings up at the end of the book, and I think his final rebuttal, is he talks about how like um, they're debating just the existence of God, but he really presses on how like Kenny and Kenny Pierce um, really doesn't like give a position on a lot of his like Christian theology uh, in the book. And mm -hmm. why I'm bringing this up is I'm thinking about the idea of like you really need to think about your whole worldview. Um so like Pierce in the book doesn't talk about like his position on like demons or the afterlife or like angels or like these things. Um, and, like these are part of like his worldview. And I think something that you talked about, like when looking at Christianity and like making like an argument or a case for Christianity is you have to consider your whole worldview. And like, for me, like when we get to like the simplicity argument that you talked about, um, like Oppie's argument for me, I'm like, well, you have to like give an account for like your whole worldview as well. Like you can't just say like, no God, you say God um, simpler, but you know, that's a little bit beyond. Um, and it's, that's just, a little bit of a straw man of Oppie's argument, but like I'm just trying to like show that like when we're looking at like worldviews and like Christianity, atheism, Islam, like all these things, you really have to look at your whole worldview and like see like what are all your different beliefs, um, 
what are your like foundational beliefs, things you can't give up? And like, how do those compare with like simplicity and explanatory power and all these different virtues? Um, so just, all that's just to emphasize, like really comparing your whole worldview is something super important that you have to do mm -hmm. when thinking about these things. Yeah. And I, I think, so in this, this might be something we've slightly disagree on. I think in like certain contexts, like if you're going to debate someone on mm -hmm. whether, if you're going to go into like a debate book, then yeah, it makes sense that you want to like fill in your whole worldview. But like, I think, yeah. like, I think like atheists, for example, I would say atheists, you know, I, I expect just like Christians, I, they, they both need to, you know, the people in the pew and like the atheists on the street, I think that they should both think about what they believe more. But that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I actually think that all of them have to like have a like specific worked out worldview where they can like confess like, you know, these these mm -hmm. little bullet yeah. points and stuff. Like I so I think it depends on the on the dialectic context, too. So like mm -hmm. I do I, I do want to sympathize. I do sympathize with what you were saying earlier about what, what do we expect from the people in the pew? What do I expect from the atheist on the street who doesn't know? I expect them to think hard about what they believe, especially if their mm -hmm. beliefs impact others. I don't know if I expect them to be able to like formulate like a random atheist. I don't yeah. necessarily expect a random atheist on the street to formulate a, a rich picture of naturalism. I don't yeah. expect that. I don't necessarily expect the Christian to be mm -hmm. able to flesh out, you know, to recite, well, to, to flesh out like a super developed, you know, theology, mm -hmm. like super developed. I expect them to think about why they believe what they believe and why. But beyond that, you see what I'm saying? Like, I think the bar is higher yeah. at certain, depending on, are you going to go publicly and defend these beliefs or argue against them? Then the standards get higher and higher, depending on what you're doing. At least mm -hmm. that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely tricky. Like, I don't have like a firm, like belief on like the nature of demons as a Christian. Um, like, I don't have like these firm, like subgroups, but like we look at like those core beliefs, like does God exist or like for Christian, like this, did Jesus rise from the dead? Um, or for the atheist, like maybe like, like morals or things like this. Like it is important to have like kind of like a, a somewhat split out like version of these things. So I think I agree with you more than maybe I let on. Um, and like, as we, as we're talking, it helps me because I like develop my thoughts. Like I don't have everything figured out. So, yeah. Um, maybe then we could do something fun to wrap up here, Dustin. What do you think are the worst arguments on each side of the Christian atheist debate? What about the best and worst? I thought that was best. <laughs> we can do best too. I mean, I thought we kind of covered best. Um, we can do best to be nice. and then we can uh, Okay. Well, best. I was going to say, well, I mean, for theism, I don't know if I said best. Um, That's true. Yeah. Um, I would say probably for, so best, let's do best, worst theism. I would say best, probably contingency style arguments. Um, mm -hmm. probably, um, it, it, like I, I'm still working. I still am working through like skeptic. I still, I get skeptic skeptical about like stage two inferences. Cause I feel like yeah. you could, even if you get to like this fundamental something or other, <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's a paper that Eric, Eric Wielenberg kind of jokingly calls like classical theism, like this fundamental something or other, uh, but like, <laughs> You know, like non-personal. Anyway, just getting to that point and then like going to theism, I, I have trouble with that. But I, 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 yeah. I understand. I'm sympathetic towards the goal of what what it is. I sort of see. Uh, you know, oh, my dogs are barking. I don't think my wife, my wife shouldn't be home. There might be someone outside. Um, but yeah. So I would say probably that's those are the best kinds. I would say the worst for theism. Again, maybe I just am too dumb to understand. But I just don't. I don't really like ontological arguments. It just. Mm -hmm. I know this is oversimplified, but it just seems like word games to me. I mean, mm -hmm. I need to read more. Maybe I just need to read more, but and I'm sure I will. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll come around. You're just going to open that Blackwell companion and get that like hundred step argument that's there with all those like colors <laughs> and symbols. And then you're done. You're a theist. It's over. Yeah. So I just, it just, I don't know. It just strike. It just something about it. I just, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, it, so best, I've, I've said like why I'm an atheist, but I would say probably the best rather than just obvious thing. I, I think arguments from horrors are probably the best specifically, whether they're yeah. cashed out. You can catch them out deductively or even more probabilistically. There's multiple ways. But to me, it's not just suffering in general. That's a problem for the, I mean, it is, I think, is that, but, but specific kinds of suffering like that make it 
unexpected on theism. So I would say arguments from horrors, um, those were probably the best for atheism. The worst for atheism, <laughs> I was, well, this isn't really, there's two things I would say this. The worst thing is to say, this isn't really an argument, but you don't need arguments for atheism. Yes, you do. <laughs> you, I mean, you don't, if you don't really care about it, you don't, but, but the, the idea is, and it's funny because I think what they're really trying to say is the same thing Avi is trying to say. They're just I think like, you're right. Yeah. I think what they're trying to say is these arguments, these arguments you're giving me, I don't accept. And I don't really think I need what you're saying to explain anything. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's really what they're trying to say, but they just don't, they refuse to like cash it out in any kind yeah. of, any, any kind of like systematic way. It's like, you could, no, you can, you can, there's ways to say what you're trying to say better than what you're, the way you're trying to say it. There's ways that you can actually take on a, some burden and explain it in a way that's better than just, no, like your arguments are dumb. <laughs> I'm an atheist. Like yeah. I went like, anyway, I don't, I don't like that. Um, I, like specifically, I would say probably arguments from like, like ugliness or something I, like just like, there's this feature of the world that is like gross or something like it's displeasing to me like there's there's ways that you can argue for that and like try to say that's unexpected on theism i think i think felipe leon i mean felipe leon has like explained it and i just read it and i was like like i can understand how it would count in favor slightly but for me like that doesn't tip the scale really that much at all mm -hmm. i just like the yeah people people poop so what like you think that's gross like i just i don't know it just doesn't really it doesn't really sway me i mean i can if you explain it well enough i can see but ultimately I don't know. It just doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't really. I think I don't think it's gonna convince anyone of anything, really. So you have to check out the argument from ugliness. I haven't heard of that one before. So well, I don't know if that's. I mean, so that's if you go to to Felipe Leon's blog, there's a link where he calls it that. But I, I'm still specifically referring to in yeah. is God the best explanation of things? The dialogue book with Josh Rasmussen. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think he explains briefly in one of the chapters. I, I think it's like, a, I don't know if the, the chapter is called Against a Perfectly Good Personal Foundation. That might be what it's called. But he goes over like a bunch of arguments. I think he briefly mm -hmm. like outlines something like that. Yeah. I, I think that was probably one of the weaker ones that I read. I mean, I, I summarize, like there was a video I made a long, long time ago where I sort of summarizes like very brief, like very quickly all, this, all the considerations that he raised. And I still left that in the video. But if I have to say the weakest one, I would say that's probably the weakest one to me. But. <laughs> man what you're saying is you need to get like emerson or someone on and have like a hundred plus arguments for atheism stream where it's like four hours long and then me <laughs> and someone else can make an eight hour response video to that and then we can just have so much fun so that's, that's can, what that's what i'm hearing and then i'll make a 12 hour response to that <laughs> <laughs> and then i'll that's be too tired and fall asleep and you'll win so it's it's so, funny i mean just on the side tangent that's kind of funny because you wouldn't expect that those really long videos would do that well but they do oh and my I, gosh, think, yeah. I, I think the reason though is like i don't know so I've been learning a lot about YouTube lately. I'll give you some secrets, but like really the most important thing is like click, obviously click through rate and view duration. Can you keep people watching? Mm -hmm. And I think the advantage of these really long videos, I'm not going to, I don't really plan on doing them, but is that the people that are really committed to you, like watch a lot of it. And that communicates mm -hmm. to the YouTube algorithm, like, holy crap, like they just watched seven hours of this content. Like, let's put that out and see <laughs> if we, because YouTube just wants yeah. people to stay, YouTube wants people to stay on the platform. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. And so when, when a really long video like that, gets multiple people watching seven hours. It's like, whoa, let's let's see if we can get even more people watching seven hours. So <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Cause like I've listened to um we're obviously referring to digital notions like Nathan and um James Fodder Fetter, something like that. Um on like their bad apologetics where they just like respond to arguments. Like I've listened to like probably five, six episodes at this time all the way through. Um yeah. And like his channel is like always on my recommended now because yep. that's, I think there's something really right about that for all you YouTubers out there, maybe eight hour streams of the future. <laughs> so, yeah.
if you if enough people care about what you have to say and you can get people watching for that long i mean not everyone should do that because if you if you're not good at just going for eight hours and don't do it <laughs> you have to be a certain <laughs> kind of you have to be a certain kind of crazy not crazy in a bad way but to be a certain kind of person to be able to like i cannot talk that long like i'm like even now we're getting close to an hour and i'm like man i've talked a long time during this but i don't know how they, i don't know how they do it yeah well i'm gonna talk to nathan next week so maybe i can get his secrets on his how he somehow does that so yeah well <laughs> Awesome. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Dustin. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap up here, like about what you're doing or anything like that? I don't think so. I mean, I definitely have big goals with YouTube. I'm trying to keep chipping away and we'll see how it goes. Sounds like a plan, dude. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and for everyone that's listening, I encourage you to check out Dustin's channel, The Non-Alchemist. Oh, I was going to ask you. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot about this. It wasn't on the question. Surprise question. What Uh-oh. the heck is the non-alchemist? Like, what does that even mean? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just curious. And I've always thought about that. That's fine. Um, it does come. There's an infamous Sam Harris quote. Even though I'm moved on to better things, there's this infamous Sam, Har- Sam Harris quote where he compares, he's like, why do we even have a name for theism? We don't have terms for like someone that's a non-alchemist. Like, so he's kind of making a joke and it made me laugh. Like, I don't, obviously I think theism is a useful term. Um, yeah. So, and it's also like a hat tip to like, if you've seen the, the YouTube channel, um, the non-stamp collector, he makes fun. He made, well, he's, he doesn't, he's not really active anymore, but he made a lot of funny videos about like Bible contra. They're animated. They're really funny about like Bible contradictions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so part of it was a hat tip to him. And it, it, the name just kind of made me laugh. It's kind of like, I'm identifying as something I don't, I don't believe. Cause I think it's silly or something like, like, I don't believe in alchemy. Mm-hmm. So I'm a non-alchemist, yeah. like, I, like a non-fundamentalist. Like it's, it's just, it's just kind of silly. Like, I don't, you know, I don't actually agree with everything Sam Harris said in that quote, but it just, it, the name kind of made me laugh a little bit. So that's, so you're not a Sam Harris clone. No, (laughs) I mean, I don't think, I I mean, I don't think I haven't really honestly haven't. The only book I've read from him, I think, is that letter to a Christian nation. That's basically it. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've heard a couple of podcasts, but no, I mean, it just it made me laugh. I thought it was a unique name. It was a hat tip to another YouTuber that I liked multiple. It was just kind of like multiple things. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dustin. Really enjoyed this conversation and I hope to be seeing more of you in the future. Really enjoy this. So thank you again for coming on. I hope you uh, enjoyed this conversation as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you're new, always encourage you to like, subscribe, all that fun stuff, and we'll see you next time. So peace out, everyone. Have a great one.